0: What brings you the most joy? You know, as the weather gets cooler and we whip out the winter jackets and the North faces, what brings me a little bit of joy is uh, Christmas time right here in New York City. You know, it's, it's nostalgic, it's almost magical, um, right? Even, I mean, here in Bushwick, you walk down Nickelbacker Avenue or you drive down Nickelbacker Avenue, we recently got lights and decorations, which is amazing. And we haven't seen that here in about 30 some odd years. And there's something a little nostalgic and magical about that. You know, another thing that brings me a lot of joy is hearing a child's laughter. I love tickling little kids just so I can hear them laugh. My nephew was over the house recently and I would just place my hand on his belly and i begin to jiggle it hard and fast and he just starts to laugh and and giggle. And Man, it brings me so much joy just to hear a child laugh. You know what else brings me joy? I, I love to see people spiritually grow i love to see spiritual growth in people's lives i mean this is what i've dedicated my life to seeing and when when i see people mature in their faith that brings me joy when they begin to exercise their spiritual gifts or when they take steps of obedience and and, and get baptized or to begin honoring god through their finances and through their giving man it simply lifts my spirits and brings me so much joy have you ever considered what brings jesus joy I'll admit, I never gave him much thought until recently. You know, we're in the middle of this series called Gentle and Lowly, where we've been taking a deep dive into the heart of God and the heart of of Jesus for sinners and sufferers like you and me. And as a guide, we've been reading through this book together by the same name, and I've been so encouraged by it. I pray and hope that you've been as well. Today, as we peel back the curtain and peer into Jesus' heart, we wanna look at what brings him joy. And to do so, we're gonna look at a verse that perhaps you've con- you never considered when talking about joy, but it's there, clear as day. And so to help us today, I invited Hunter to give us a hand. And he's gonna be answering the question, what brings Jesus joy? Uh, so before we transition over to him, let's read Hebrews chapter 12, verse two, which says this. It says, let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. And here's where it says it, check this out. For the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Wait a second. Jesus' joy is connected to his most painful, agonizing, and humiliating of moments in his life. How can that be? Hunter's
1: gonna help us understand So Jesus gets joy when a sinner comes to repentance. Now, this may seem obvious, like, of course Jesus likes it and and is pleased when we turn from our sin. But what we find in this book and in scripture is so much more than Jesus is relieved that we turn to him. Jesus is not only after our obedience, he's not just simply after our obedience, although he wants that too, there's this great joy he actually gets, this delight in us when we turn from our sin. So I want to turn us to Luke 15. We find a parable that Jesus gives. He's responding in this context to these religious leaders who were, get this, angry at Jesus for hanging out with sinners and broken people. Um, so they brought their anger to Jesus, and this is how Jesus responds to them in Luke 15, verses 3 through 7. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine? in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together all his friends and and neighbors saying to them, rejoice with me for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you that there will be more joy. Note that, note that word joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who need no repentance. So, Here I get two big things Jesus is trying to say. The first thing is that he can't stand prideful people who think there's nothing wrong with their sin. Uh, The second main thing that I get is that he finds great joy in the few who actually do realize their sinful tendencies, the few who are dirty and messed up, and they bring their mess to Jesus. He finds joy in those people who bring themselves to him. And in the passage, just like it says, he rejoiced with me. That, that's where we get the word joy, actually, in the word rejoice. So he rejoices, and Jesus says there's going to be great joy in heaven when just even one of us comes to repentance. And Dane Ortland, in the book we're reading, Gentle and Lowly, he actually emphasizes this in, in, in chapter three. He, he writes this, Christ gets more joy and comfort than we do when we come to him for help and mercy, in the same way that a loving husband gets more relief and comfort in his wife's healing than his own. So I'll just say that again. He, he, get, Christ gets more joy than us. So you know we go to we go to Christ to to get healing, to find comfort in our pain and our brokenness, and that that right that makes us feel better and that we we get this relief. But actually, what he's saying is Christ gets more relief than we do, and and that's because he's perfect, he's holy, and that's what he wants for us. And so, um, it's just it's amazing to think about that. And and now we get to the point where we say, okay, so Jesus finds joy in my repentance, but. Why would he find such joy in me when I'm always bringing a bruised, beaten up, shameful version of myself to him? I mean, like, does anyone feel like that sometimes? You know, you're constantly burdening Jesus. Well, that's not the case. The writer of Hebrews emphasizes that, and this is our anchor verse today, for the joy said before him, Jesus, he endured the cross. But what was the joy that he was looking forward to, what he's longing for? It was the joy of seeing us, his people, forgiven of our sins and restored back to God. That was the joy he was looking forward to. And this is what helped him see the bigger picture as he was tortured on the cross. He was remembering. He was thinking about us. And remember, he was fully human. So there were certainly moments where he might have felt like this was just too much to bear in those moments. But he constantly remembered what he was after, and that was us. But more than just wanting us to be forgiven and made right with God... Jesus wants us. He doesn't just want us, our forgiveness. He wants us. And and so we look at this verse in John 17, verse 24, where Jesus is praying to his father, praying to God. And this is what he says, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me, they may be with me. He doesn't get tired of us bringing our stuff to him, our mess, our junk. He doesn't get tired of that. He wants us to be with him. That's where he finds joy. So as we consider this point that Jesus rejoices, finds joy in our repentance, what should that lead us to do in our day-to-day lives? I know for me, when I'm dealing with my sin and my own junk, I tend, to run, I tend to run from Jesus, right? We don't want him to see us like that. I tend to hide. I don't want Jesus to know my junk. But the ironic part of that whole situation is that that's exactly what Jesus wants from us. That's exactly what he wants us to bring us, bring our burdens to him. That's what he calls us to do. He doesn't want our blind obedience he wants our heart. So we got to build habits of repentance, daily repentance. I mean, even hourly repentance, right? When we use our words to hurt or we lust or we lie or we covet, we, we should catch that, that thought or that action in the moment and, and just pray, Jesus, I'm sorry, you're worth more than that thought. You're worth more than that action. Help me. We find these words for minor reminder and comfort in 1 John 1 verses 8 through 9. Let's check this out. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But, and I love this verse, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So part of this habit of confession and sin and bringing ourselves to Jesus is another way that Jesus finds joy, and this is number two in your notes, Jesus gets joy when we abide in his love. So let's read John 15. As the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Remain in my love. Another translation says abide, abide. Remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. This is Jesus speaking. That that his joy would be in us and our joy would be complete. Now, there's a lot going on in just these few verses, but the big idea is, is the first, is first, Jesus gets joy from his obedience to his Father God. Number two is that there's a direct link between our obedience to Jesus and our love for him. There's this correlation. And the third thing is Jesus is after his and our joy. So I know we have some parents watching, and, and this helped me kind of wrap my head around remaining or abiding in Jesus's love, the concept of this. So, for those who have kids, we know that they're perfect angels. They always do, they're doing the dishes, they're helping with dinner, folding laundry, doing everything you want them to do, right? No, that's not true, right? Of course not. But when your kids are being disobedient and dishonest and troublesome, we can all agree that there's this like fundamental discord, this disunity that's taking place between you and your child. There's this like conflict. And this conflict, it doesn't mean that you don't love them any less than in the difficult times than you do in the good times. But you know that that there could be joy, there could be peace if they were more obedient. Because why? You're after their good. You're not making these rules. You're not being harsh to hurt them. You're trying to help them and you're trying to help them flourish. And so in the same way Jesus Jesus is saying, if you're obedient to me, you will be abiding. You will be remaining uh, in his love, in my love. And so I want to point out something about this idea of obedience that uh, many of us Christians, I think we get mixed up in our head. We get, we get it wrong. Some of us read the verse, this verse, when it says, if you keep my commands, you will re- remain in my love. I think we read that as, if you don't keep my commands, I don't love you. I, I think we get that confused that our, our obedience is contingent on Jesus's love. Jesus's love for us is absolutely not contingent on our obedience to him. I'll say that again. Jesus' love for us is not contingent on our obedience to him. Why is that? Well, the first reason is that without Jesus, we are unable to please God. Not that we shouldn't try to please God on our own, but it's impossible to make ourselves righteous before God without Jesus. That's why Hebrews and the other scriptures say he's our mediator. He's this middle person. He paid a very high price to be that mediator, to rescue us. And so remember, he's after our heart. He's not after our good works or our blind obedience. However, what I think this verse is saying is that keeping his commands will be both an inward and outward flow of being or remaining in his love. We're not obedient to Jesus because we want him to love us. That's not not our motivation for being obedient. But instead, because Jesus loves us so unconditionally, we can't help but be obedient. In Response to such a love, it just overflows out of us. I think that's what this verse is saying, and this is what abiding in Him and His love is about. It's not about measuring up or trying to, to, to cross all the boxes, but because we're so connected that we, we can't help but be obedient to Him. Isn't that so much different than I have to be obedient or Jesus won't love me? There's no joy in blind obedience, that's completely taken out of the equation. He doesn't want our blind obedience or flaky morality. But there is great joy in remaining in the love of Jesus, both for us and him. That's what the, the text says, that not only we do we get joy, but he also gets joy in that obedience. This is the Christian walk. And similar to repentance, as we spoke before, abiding and remaining in the love of Jesus is a spiritual discipline, a habit of sorts. We're not going to accidentally wake up tomorrow and be like, wow, I'm abiding so much in Jesus. I know what he wants for my life, and we're just cool. It's not going to happen like that. You're not going to wake up and... And it just be there. Um, a relationship, just like any relationship, has to be tended to. To abide in Jesus, we have to listen to Jesus. We have to speak to Jesus. We have to put to practice the things that Jesus commands us to. What are you talking about, Hunter? Loving Him. To start with, loving our neighbors. And this is all out of abiding in Him, remaining in Him. It's not simply rule following. Um, So we got to get that right in our heads that this is not about uh, obedience and, uh, you know, checking the boxes, but this is an outward flow of remaining and abiding in Jesus. So a practical application I think we could take away and put to our lives today is found in actually our main passage for today. This is Hebrews. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. So, what is this verse? What are the commands? What are we, what's the application in these verses? Let's lay aside our sin. It's clinging so close. It, the, Satan is out to kill, steal, and destroy from us, and we have to be on guard. We have to set it aside constantly. Uh, The second command is to look. We look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Let's imitate him. Let's abide in him, remain in him. And let's find all of our joy and hope in him because, well, he's our only hope. I love what Dane Ortland writes. Uh, He says this,
0: he does not get flustered and frustrated when we come to him for fresh forgiveness. I love that. For renewed pardon with distress and need and emptiness. That's the whole point, it's what he came to heal. He went down into the horror of death and plunged out through the other side in order to provide a limitless supply of mercy and grace to his people. Guys, Jesus' joy is directly connected to us. It's directly connected to the opportunity that he affords us through the work he already accomplished on the cross. The joy set before him in Hebrews is the fact that we would respond to that act of mercy, that he would pardon our sin, that we would be welcomed into the family of God and that we would have our eternity secured. That is the joy that was set before him. It blows me away to consider the extent of Jesus' love. His love for you and me is so great that it brings him joy to have endured the cross, to endure the pain, to endure the bloodshed so that we might become children of God. It's like the love that a father has for his children, especially when it's demonstrated on Christmas morning. I want you guys to envision with me a dad who maybe doesn't have a lot, doesn't have a lot of finances. He works hard. He, He pours his heart and soul into his work. He strains his back. He cuts his hands only to make enough to barely get by but he sacrifices to buy Christmas gifts for his children. He places them under a tree so that when Christmas morning arrives, his kids can experience a gift. And what does he feel when they open his gift? When when they squeal with excitement, when they play with their new toys on Christmas morning, what does that dad feel? Though he suffered, though he broke his back, though he worked hard, though he doesn't have a lot, he feels joy. The kids may never know the extent of the father's sacrifice, the challenges that he had to endure, the hardships that he had to overcome. Yet the father's overwhelmed with joy in just seeing his children unwrap his gifts. That's the extent of Christ's love for us. And when we unwrap his gift of mercy, his gift of forgiveness, his gift of new life, it brings him joy. Have you unwrapped the gift of God's grace made available in Jesus? You're welcome to do so today. Let's pray. Lord, we may never fully understand the extent of your love. but We thank you. Thank you for enduring the cross and doing so joyfully. Lord, may we never hesitate to approach you with repentant hearts because you are ready, available, and willing to forgive us of our sins. So we pray, God, you help us to abide in you. May we live in you. May we obey your commands. And may we live out this love that you so lavishly poured out on us. In Jesus' name, amen.